And as our kids head out, I want, just want to say uh, welcome here to Bethany Church on this long weekend Sunday. Thank you for joining us. And Pastor Steph is not joining us. He's out on vacation, which somehow to me feels like a conspiracy because he left just as we get to Acts chapter 5. And I feel that was a nasty trick. See, we, we're convinced that reading the scriptures and studying the scriptures on a regular basis has a big impact on our spiritual lives. And so sometimes you get into the sections that are really fun and good to read, and then some of the sections that are a little bit tougher. And so that's where we're going today. And the thing is, is that Acts is an interesting book because it takes us to the very beginnings of the church where God started something new. And of course, whenever anything new starts, there's a lot of excitement and a lot of energy that comes with it. But Acts chapter 5 shows a little something extra that's happening. In fact, when you read Acts chapter 5, some of you, I'm sure, will find this chapter a little bit difficult. In fact, some of you might even find it a little bit disturbing as we take a look at it. And, and that's the thing that helps us wrestle with our faith. And life is like that. There are some parts of our life that are fun, some that are difficult and confusing, and some parts of our lives that are a little disturbing. And Acts chapter 5 is a little bit like that. Now, whenever I get to a, a difficult passage of Scripture, I like to go back and take a look at the history. I like to take a look at the context because sometimes that sheds some light on what I'm reading at the time. And so whenever God does something new, there's always stuff that must be old then. And when we take a look at new and old, of course, we start asking this question. Maybe some of you have asked this question, and some of you are just wondering, why do we even have an Old Testament and a New Testament? Why are there both? And so sometimes we think about the New Testament. It's not called the new because it's newer. That's kind of like saying that the telegraph is new. Because while it's newer than the printing press, it's not exactly new. When we take a look at the New Testament, it's not because it's younger or it's more recent. It's because it covers a new era. We call it the New Covenant. And the word testament means covenant. And our Bibles are laid out in such a way that the first part of your Bible, in fact the first two-thirds of it almost, are covering the Old covenant writings and the new testament or the new covenant covers the new era and they're very different and the types of things that happen during the old covenant are not always the same types of things that happen during the new and a covenant we often refer to as kind of a sacred agreement a sacred agreement that God makes either with a certain group of people or in the new testament with all people. So we're going to take some time to take a look at what that means. So the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, we sometimes refer to it as the law of Moses. Now that doesn't mean that Moses made it up. 
Now, he's not the author, but he's the one who communicated it from God to the nation of Israel. And so the Old Covenant is that Old Covenant with ancient Israel. It's very old, pre-Jesus, all right? And that Old Covenant had to do, and we sometimes call it a conditional agreement, wherein, where God says, I will do this, but you must do this. I will protect you and guide you in this way, but this is what I require of you. And when you no longer do what's required of you, then that covenant is in jeopardy. So it's a conditional covenant. And this covenant had all kinds of rules. Rules that had to do with land, with food, with clothes, with holy days, with the priesthood and the temple and with marriage and with animals and with strangers. And it had rules upon rules upon rules. Now most of us think of the Ten Commandments. And you could say those are the big ten. But really in the Old Testament, in the Law of Moses, there was about 613 different rules that had to be followed with all of these things. And so it's quite a long list. And you can imagine trying to live up to this long list of rules and how easy it is to miss one. And of course, when you break one rule, it's broken. You've broken the whole thing. And when we think of breaking the law of Moses, and we think about, you know, was it a big rule broken or a little rule broken? I kind of think of this picture. When you break the law, it's kind of like breaking a window. Whether you break it with a small stone or with a big stone, it's still broken, right? And the law of Moses was very much like that. Is that once the law was broken, it was broken. And it didn't matter whether you broke it in a little way or a big way. And so there was lots of rules to take care of. The whole point of all those rules was to make Israel a holy and set-apart people. And the word holy doesn't mean righteous, pure. Sometimes we think of it that way. The word holy means that they are different. They are unique. They are set-apart. And that means that the whole nation of Israel was supposed to be different from everyone else. And all the rules pointed to this and made sure that they were different than anyone else. They had to wear different clothes. They had to eat different food. They had different rules to follow. Even the kingdom was set up in a very unique way. And so it was supposed to be very, very different in, in every way, really. And in the end, it's God's uh, connection with the covenant of Israel was that if you disobey or break these rules, you will be punished. Now, the punishment wasn't just a chance for God to get his frustration out. Those of you who are parents, you know what that's like. I'm just so upset. I'm going to let that child have it. Let them know that I'm mad. Well, that's not the purpose behind punishment. Punishment really is called correction in God's covenant. Is that he does certain things to bring them back. So when Solomon's temple was dedicated, Solomon passed on all kinds of warnings. The kinds of warnings that if they do not keep the covenant, 
then God will hold back the rain. God will send plagues. In fact, he will even uproot the nation of Israel and send them away, and he will destroy this beautiful, wonderful temple of gold that they had just finished creating. And that was the warnings. But along with that comes the promise. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, if they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And the whole point was is that God would withhold physical things from them. He would put their whole society in jeopardy and he would cause people to attack them because they had turned away from his covenant and he did this so that they would turn to God and you, you know as you take a look at the Bible you see in the Old Testament this rising and falling this rising and falling you know the, God would be at work in them and they would turn to God and things would get better but as things got better they got a little bit careless and started ignoring God and so things started to go downhill to the point where they realized they were really in trouble. And they would call out to God and God would rescue them. And send either a judge or send a king along who would rescue them. And things would get better again. And you see this up, down, up, down, up, down. All the way through the Old Testament. Which kind of signifies a little bit of our life too, doesn't it? You know what that's like. Yeah, things are going good for a while. I feel like God is working in my life. And then I kind of forget about God, and all of a sudden things go kind of crazy. And then I start getting back on my knees and talking to God, and he starts meeting my needs. And sometimes our own life is like that. So the old covenant was very physical, very concrete, very measurable, and also with a certain group of people. And that's how God worked. And so that was the old covenant. But when Jesus came, and as he, gave him, he was getting ready to die on the cross, and as he served communion, we call it communion, as he sat with his disciples at the Lord's table, he said this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. He says, I'm doing something new. I'm starting a new covenant, a new agreement, one that supersedes the previous one. The old one had sacrifices, but now I am the sacrifice. The old one had rules, but we're changing the rules to something deeper. And he goes on to describe it. In fact, if you want to contrast the two covenants, the book of Hebrews that's written, you know, it, it's kind of later on in the New Testament, is a great comparison of the old covenant and the new covenant. And it has this discussion going back and forth, how Jesus in the new covenant is so much superior to what used to be with this old covenant. And we want to, and I want to encourage you in your own private times of reading, take a look at the Hebrews with that concept. How is the old and the new compared? So Hebrews goes on to talk about it this way. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means that he's made the first one obsolete. It's now out of date. 
and it will soon disappear. And now this is a little bit of a troubling thing. You mean like two-thirds of my Bible has something to do with something that's obsolete and out of date? Well, the Old Testament is still very valuable. We can learn a lot about human nature. We learn about the nature of God. We learn about how God was at work, God's faithfulness, His patience. And I'm astounded, you know, with this up and down thing that went and happened throughout the Old Testament, that God's patience was always there. It's a good thing I'm not God. It's a good thing for you that I'm not God. Because after about the second or third time of the nation of Israel going astray, I'll be going, you got to think, you know, what's wrong with you people? I'm thankful that God's not at all like that. In fact, in our lives, we see that mercy and that patience over and over again. And even in the Old Testament, God's patience and mercy was there. But that Old Covenant is obsolete. It's out of date. You know, it's kind of like, you know, updating your phone plan and getting a new phone. What do you call your other phone? Your old phone, right? That's my old phone now. It used to be my new phone. Now it's my old phone. Now I've got a new phone for the next two years when my contract runs out. Then that's my old phone, and then that's my... And so we see this change from the old to the new. But there's a difference. Now when you have your old phone, it still works. You can still make calls, you can still text, you can still use it for a lot of things. But the old covenant doesn't have that same value. It's not like, well, I'm going to stick with the old covenant because I'm familiar with it and I like it and I'm going to stick with it until, well, as long as I can. The old covenant doesn't have any power anymore. In fact, it's completely replaced by the new covenant. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul is talking about this covenant and he says, he has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. And this is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old covenant was either chiseled on tablets of stone or written on papyrus and had all the rules, all the regulations. Do this, don't do this, and everything will be good with you as a nation. The new covenant doesn't have that. In fact, the new covenant does not have the written parts, the rules and the regulations, but as it's described here, it's of the Spirit. Or in other places in Scripture, it says it's written on our hearts. Now the great thing about having it written down is that it's very concrete, it's easy to measure, and it's easy to see when someone is going astray. You can measure it. Oh yeah, you didn't keep that rule. You're obviously a rule breaker. You have just broken the command. But when it's written on your hearts, it's much more difficult to measure. It's much tougher to understand. So how am I doing? Am I, am I pleasing God? Am I walking in step with God? See, the new covenant in some ways, has so many more benefits, but it requires us to engage with it in a far deeper level. 
not to just say, well, I belong to this religion and I keep these rules, therefore I'm called a Christian. It is something that becomes a matter of the heart. And it's something that happens between God and me. So when we take a look at the covenants, we have to understand this. That the old covenant is not our covenant. It belonged to ancient Israel. It was given for a temporary season. Um, In fact, in the New Testament, we see that the, the old law was given to prepare people for a coming savior or a messiah to prepare people for Jesus coming it was never meant to always be there but it was to shepherd a certain group of people to a certain destination and now that part is done and a new covenant has begun so the old covenant is not our covenant and the promises to Israel are not our promises. So that when God says, if you do not follow me, I will punish you or correct you by attacking your land and your society. And when you turn to me, I will make your society good. Those are promises for Israel. And we have to be very cautious that we don't appropriate promises from a certain time and from a certain season and bring them to us now and say, oh, that's God's promise for me. And that's very difficult, isn't it? Because there are some things in the Old Testament, when we take a look at God's faithfulness and how he shows himself, those are definitely things we can rely on. But the promises that he gives under the Old Covenant are not our promises. They belong to a certain era and to a certain people. But Jesus says this, Jesus is the one mediator, sorry, this is in the book of Hebrews. He's the one mediator for us to a far better covenant with God based on far better promises. The old covenant for a certain time, but the covenant now is much better because it applies to all. The promises from before where I will restore your land, I will restore your kingdom, I will restore your safety. These go much deeper into changing our hearts. The old law could tell you where you're wrong and tell you to stop it. The new covenant changes us from the inside out. The old covenant tells you, here's the standard you should rise to us. The new covenant actually enables us to change and be something different from what we are and what we have been. And so that's comparing the old covenant and the new covenant. The Old Testament and the New Testament. Why we have such a big portion of our scriptures Old, they are all scripture and they are all valuable and we encourage you to read them and understand them in their context. But the new speaks to us today. So God is starting something new and the first book about that is the book of Acts and God starts something new and that's the setting of where we are. And so in the book of Acts we start off chapter 1 Jesus has some last words for his disciples and he promises them that 
something new is going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come, and not only will he be with you, but he will be in you. And then he ascends to heaven. In chapter 2, we have the time of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit does come. That promise is fulfilled. And the disciples are preaching, and people uh, are coming to Jesus because they understand in the Old Covenant, ah, that all spoke about the coming Messiah, and Jesus is it. And then in chapters 3 and 4, we have this story about the man who is healed and the message that goes out and some of the conflict that was happening between the new followers of the way and the people who followed the old covenant. And then we come to chapter 5. And we have a situation here that's tough to absorb. We have Ananias and Sapphira. And these two were believers... They had come to know and put their faith in Jesus. In fact, as far as we know, there's nothing in Scripture says that they weren't believers. They were. But what's amazing, in the midst of all the great things that are happening, they are tempted. Don't you just hate it when temptations come up right in the middle of something good? In fact, when something good is happening you're not necessarily on your guard. You're not really maybe even paying attention. Stuff just sort of happens. And we began reading this morning actually in chapter 4 because that's where the story begins. Barnabas, whose original name was Joseph, decided, all this property I have, that's not really mine. It belongs to God. And there's some needs. I'm going to sell it and I'm going to allow it to be distributed to other people in need. And people responded to that and started calling him the nickname Barnabas. You're just a man of encouragement. Oh, wouldn't you like a guy like that around you? So everybody's encouraged by him, and Ananias and Sapphira see that, and they think, I want to be like that. I want to be a person of encouragement. I want to be the kind of person that people look up to and be a leader I want people to look up to me and say, what a person I want to be like. And they were tempted by that. And they decided to do what Barnabas did. We're going to sell our land and we're going to give it all so that people can be helped. But oh my goodness, that's a lot of money. Hmm. Maybe we'll just say we gave it all, but we'll keep some back. And so that's what they chose to do. For whatever reason, they chose to say they gave it all, but they only gave part of it. And when they did it, for some reason, Peter found out the truth. Now, we don't know if, if he you know, saw the transaction and he knew what they actually paid for it, or the Holy Spirit spoke to him. We don't really know how it happened. But somehow he found out And he approached Ananias and called him to task. You said it was this, but in reality it wasn't. We don't know if Peter expected to have Ananias drop dead right there, but that's what happened. The story tells us that God judged Ananias right there on the spot. And then later when Sapphira came along, his wife, Peter asked her about it. She also lied about it. And God struck her down as well. And it's interesting how this story ends. This story ends with this verse that says, And great 
fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Well, no kidding. Can you imagine if that happened in our church? Can you imagine if, if someone says, I'm, I'm promising to write this sizable donation and in the end they make it just a little bit less than they, they expected, still very generous, but God strikes that couple down right in the middle of our church? Would you be then afraid? <laughs> I'd be terrified. <laughs> Everybody would be getting their checkbooks out and writing a, bit, a little bit more, right? <laughs> be, because you wonder, if God judges someone like this, what about me? And I, I, and I know what you're thinking. You're going to have questions like this. Why did God judge them so harshly? And I know you're thinking that because that's what I've been thinking. Why did God choose, even though they were very generous, why did God step out and judge them in this way? And unfortunately, the story doesn't tell us exactly why. But God chose this. And you might be saying, wasn't this an overreaction? <laughs> well, it sure seems like it from our perspective, right? And we might say, oh man, I've done far worse than that. And God hasn't judged me. And maybe that's the miraculous part of the story, isn't it? Is that the miraculous part isn't that God judged them at this point. Maybe the miraculous part is that God doesn't judge us always and give us what we deserve. And you might be thinking this. It's a good thing God doesn't do this anymore. In fact, if God would have judged every believer for every sin they committed by striking them down, probably that little movement of Jesus would have stopped pretty quickly, wouldn't it have? Because even though God is doing something new, even though God is putting His Spirit inside of us and changing us from the inside, we know that every day there are choices to be made. Every day we battle with it. And every day we think of, will I choose good or will I choose what's wrong? It's hard to call it wrong, right? Because that's our internal compass a little bit mixed up. And we know that we battle with that. And then... In truth, it's hard to say that God doesn't do this anymore. I think sometimes that there are times that I make decisions and God graciously lets me off the hook. I don't have to pay the penalty. And there are some times that I make choices and God says, okay, you have to carry this one for a while. And there are some times that God does that. And that's having to live with our choices. But the interesting thing here that we want to pick out of this story is that when Ananias and Sapphira came and they lied to Peter, Peter's response was this. You weren't lying to us, but to God. It wasn't just I was defrauding a person. You were defrauding God. It wasn't that you told the lie to us. You told the lie to God. In fact, it changes the whole situation. And Jesus put it this way when he was here on earth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you 
did for me. Whatever you did to a brother or sister, you did to me. And that's why Peter could say, you weren't lying to us, you were lying to God. As far as we know, there was no special unforgivable sin that Ananias and Sapphira committed. They committed the kind of sin that all of us commit. That when we lie to someone, we're lying to God. When we insult someone, we're actually insulting God. When I'm disrespectful to someone in, you know, a, a cashier or a, a retail person, when I'm disrespectful to them, I'm disrespectful to God. When I get angry at someone in the car in front of me, I'm getting angry with God. And Jesus' perspective is this, that the way we are to other people is the way we are to God. As Jesus put it, when you give a glass of cold water to someone, that's me. When you take care of them, that's me. When you visit them when they're sick, when you look after them, you're doing that to me and for me. You see, this new covenant all of a sudden changes. That it's not about following strict rules, but the question is, can I love people the way God calls me to? And so, the thing is, God's rules is this now, is that we cannot separate the people things, and the God things. We can't say, I love God, but hate my brother. We cannot say, as James puts it, to those who are in need, oh, be ye warmed and filled, but have nothing to do with it. John puts it this way, if we do not love our brother, how can the love of God be in us? And so, the new covenant calls us not just to obey rules that make us different from everyone else, but to obey a more internal guiding of the Holy Spirit. That the way I treat others has everything to do with my relationship with God. That's a tough one, isn't it? I find that one extremely tough. Because I get frustrated with people. And I get upset with people. And I think people sometimes are jerks. I'm sure you don't think that, but... And there's a little time of confession. But the Scriptures warn me, and Jesus warns me, that the way I treat others is a reflection of my relationship with God. And it makes me realize every single day, oh, this is why I need Jesus. You know, this thing that I just did, the thing that I just said, how I treated that person, that reminds me of why I need Jesus so much to keep changing me. Because that law of the heart, the law of the Spirit, reminds me that I've messed something up. See, Jesus put it this way, kind of that new code. That we love each other, not just the way we want to be loved, but we love each other the way Jesus loves us. So how does Jesus love you? In order to, 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 to organize your own heart, how am I going to treat people, 
I need to figure out how is it that God is treating me. That forgiveness, that compassion, that mercy, that patience. That's how God treats me. And he calls me to live that out. And when I don't, I realize that I'm not faithful to what he's called me to. And I need to confess that and bring that to God so he can cleanse me and strengthen me in a whole different way. See, Ananias and Sapphira, their story is included for us because in the midst of great things happening, we sometimes get off stray. There are sometimes that we choose a way that's not God's way. Sometimes we have great motives. We want to make sure that we protect what's right and what's good. And therefore, we want people to make the choices that we would. And sometimes it's fun to judge others, isn't it? You know, dealing with the log in someone else's eyes while what's in mine is a whole forest. A splinter in someone else's eye and I've got a log. speck of sawdust and I've got a plank. God calls us to something new. And what Jesus started when he was here, this new covenant, was so different from the old covenant. And so the new covenant is a covenant for all people, not just ancient Israel, but it's for all of us, and it's open to all of us. And God invites all of us to come to Jesus and to be part of this new way. And Jesus' sacrifice is complete. It's once and for all. In the old covenant, there was sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And depending on what kind of sin you committed was a different kind of sacrifice. And then some of them were just scheduled sacrifices. It was just all the time, all the time. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus' sacrifice is once for all. Takes care of it all. Your sin, all of it, is completely covered. We all have access to God through Jesus. Where before the old covenant, you had to access in a certain way through the priests, through the system, and in a certain way. But now, we all can come to God. I can get on my knees at any time. I can talk to Him while I'm driving in my vehicle. I have access to Him always. And his spirit is stirring in me. We have this new code of love. And this new code is to love as Jesus loves. Not just to love in a good way or love people, you know, in a way that's convenient. But to love his way. And what keeps me grounded in that is by me exploring and understanding so much. How is God loving me? even in my idiosyncrasies, even in my rebelliousness, even when I want my own way, even when I'm tired and frustrated, God's love never ends. And he calls me to use that as my example on how to love others. While in the old covenant, there was a temple and a tabernacle, a place for sacrifice, a place to come and to pray and to worship. Now, all believers are that temple. That we are the place where God dwells. 
He lives inside of your heart. When you ask Jesus into your heart, there is a spiritual presence that does come in. His presence comes in. And he starts changing us from the inside out. It's not just a matter of our will. I'm going to determine to be like Jesus. The great thing is I can ask him to change me. I cannot change myself in this area, Lord. Please, come in. Work in me. I don't seem to be able to change this on my own. And that's what the Holy Spirit's role is in us, changing us from the inside out. And number five, it is the Holy Spirit that comes in. And he changes us in every way. You know, it's easy to think of God has such high expectations. And if I don't live up to them, he's going to judge me. He's going to zap me. He's going to get after me. And that's definitely a message of the Old Testament covenant. And it's a covenant that God made with the nation of Israel. And he would judge them as a nation when they wandered away. But he always did it for a purpose. And the purpose was to draw them back to him. All the Old Testament prophets had a very similar message. Come back to me. The one who is your first love. The one who has loved you. Come back. But when we read it superficially or if we read the Old Testament as our covenant, then sometimes we can get an impression that God is an awful, vengeful God. And i got to find a way to get him off my back. But in reality, God's patience keeps following us. And when he brings things into our life to draw us back, he does it because he wants you and he loves you and he wants to be close with you. He wants you to be close with him. That's his new covenant. And whether you're male or female, whether you're rich or poor, whether you are bond or free, an Old Testament uh, type of thing, whether you were a landowner and controlled other people or whether you control others, does not matter. It's open to all. And that's God's invitation for you. God's invitation is this. Come to me. I will come to you. And I will change you from the inside out. But what you do with that invitation is your choice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have a new agreement, a new covenant open for all of us. And Heavenly Father, we admit there's a little bit of Ananias and Sapphira in all of us. We want to thank you for your patience and your mercy in our lives. And Father, we pray that your spirit will be making us more like Jesus so that we can love others and love you the way we should. Father, make us more like him. We ask in his name. Amen.